Good morning, Sunrise. Good morning. Hope you all had a lovely Thanksgiving. Um, so happy to have you gathered uh, here with us today um, on a yeah a cold, rainy morning. Uh, hope you find uh, some comfort and coziness here. Um, as we enter into the Advent season, uh, we're going to start um, with a reading. So it'll be kind of call and response. Uh, I'll start and you guys will follow. All right. Anticipation grows within us. The day of your incarnation is near. There is no wound in the world that will not be healed. The day of your incarnation is near. There is no darkness nor shadow that will be untouched by light. There is no evil on earth that will not be uncovered, no authority that will not kneel. The day of your incarnation is near. In this first week of Advent, we sing with the prophets. One will come who will right the world. In this first week of Advent, we shout with the children. In this first week of Advent, we pray with believers around the world. Come, come Lord Jesus, Jesus, come. Lord, we prepare the ground of our hearts for this Advent season. Once again, we will claim your word within us and in your world to make all things new. The story of Advent reminds us that when you come, there is transformation and healing. You transformed lives then, you transform lives now, and you will transform all things on the day of your return. We look forward to this great day when all creation will be made new. We prepare our hearts in this Advent season by praying, listening, singing, and responding to your coming. With the ancients who awaited you, we say, living Lord, come among us. Amen. We're going to enter into a time of worship, so why don't you stand with us?
as we enter into uh, this holiday season, this time of Advent, uh, we just ask uh, that we would be open and aware of your presence uh, and how true that is that you are always with us. All this we pray in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to have a few announcements. Um, welcome. If you're new and just visiting with us today for the first time, or maybe you've come for a few weeks and just curious to know a little bit more about Sunrise, uh, if you would just go back to the connection table in the lobby there, and uh, Carol will get you signed up and give you a little free gift. Promise that there's no pressure. Uh, two elders and a deacon and the pastor will not show up at your house, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, although, if you want to invite us, um, we like coffee cake and things like that. So, But no pressure. We just want to get to know you a little bit better and uh, help you learn a little bit more about Sunrise. So, um, Also, there's a QR code on the back of some of the chairs, and you can scan that to get more information as well. Um, show of hands, just for me, curiously. Uh, this is our first Sunday of Advent, and we had a nice Thanksgiving. Show of hands, how many of you have already decorated for Christmas? All right, good job, good job. Um, how many of you use artificial Christmas trees? Oh, most of you. How about real? Who uses real trees? A couple, good for you. I had a very disastrous first real Christmas tree back when I was first married, and so we've been artificial ever since. <laughs> someday, I'll tell you that story someday. All right, moving on to announcements. Um, pub theology is for the guys here on, on December 6th at Hudsonville Grill at 6.30. Um, who leads that? Do you know? Does it, is, Noah. All right. So come and meet Noah and learn more about him and about uh, pub theology. And then also, if you signed up for Advent activity bags, I saw that there's several on the back table with your family name on the bag. Make sure you grab those today. And if you didn't sign up and you're still interested in that, then um, let Julie know, and we've got a few extras, so we can send some home with your family. Um, I think that's it for announcements. Uh, we are going to dismiss the kids, and Julie's got something planned for them. And you have a few minutes to greet each other, and then Dennis will be up with his message for today. All right, friends, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. If you could go ahead and make your way back to your seats today, we are going to be, we're celebrating the first Sunday of Advent with the first message, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 1 today, and we're going to be talking about a God of goodness and a God of hope. Dale came up to me this morning and reminded me that, um, actually, he didn't even ask a question. He just said, you're putting this on today. And Joe, it's burning my head. <laughs> See, I've, I've got it, right? I've got this. I'm growing my hair because I want to be a hippie. And um, Amy hates it. She's threatened that. She literally is threatened to cut it off in the night. Um, and it's like, man, I can't. It doesn't fit right. It's interesting, though. It's interesting, though, that on the first day of Advent, right, so now I'm, I'm, I'm after a decade of smug superiority, um, now the last two years, the last two years, um, see, Ad Advent sort of goes like this. The, the reality is, um, oh man, that was going to be a great transition and the thing. Advent's talking about this, anticipation and arrival. That's what Advent is all about, Right? And for those of you that, that, that cheered for the corn and blue yesterday, you know what that's like, right? It was, it was this idea of anticipation and then the arrival of the long-awaited victory. For those of you like, you know, my, my buddy Joe and Pam and, and my, my dear, precious wife, when I married um, Amy Crawford, I not only got a wife, I had to become an Ohio State Buckeye fan, like that was part of the deal. Look at her, she's clapping. That's the only time, she's like, most of the time after the message, she's like, it's okay. <laughs> this is the only reaction that I get. Um, but yesterday, right, for, 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 for those of you that cheer for that team down south, it was like anticipation and then denial. But anticipation and arrival, this is, this is what we're talking about today. 
Not the arrival of a, of a chubby, red-clad saint who slides down chimneys to deliver presents into stockings. Not the anticipation of a day where children wake up early, rustle their parents out of sleep, and run to tear into meticulously wrapped presents. Not anticipation of trees and garland and eggnog, but rather the anticipation of the anointed one, the promised one. The promised one who would make good on all of God's promises. You see, folks, when Advent shows up for the first time in the person of the tiny baby Jesus laying in the manger to a teenage mom and a dad that has no biological connection to him, when, when, when that first Advent begins, it ends a time of 400 years of silence. 400 years the heavens have not spoken. 400 years, there has been no prophets that have walked the streets of Israel, just persecution under the heel of Rome. No messages from heaven, just crickets from the beyond. No Messiah, just aristocratic power brokers who've sold out to Rome for power and privilege. No Messiah, no anointed one, just legalistic teachers who love the law more than they love the lawgiver and their neighbors. No Christ. No king from the line of David. The throne was occupied not by a descendant of Israel, but by a descendant of Esau. We begin the story of Advent with the shattering of that 400 years of silence. And as we look into the Scriptures, we see that the, the gospel writers themselves start in different places. It's really, really fascinating to see that the gospel writers, as they're telling the story of the advent of Christ, of the arrival of this anointed one, they begin in different places. Matthew, as a good Jewish boy, starts with a genealogy and the account of Jesus tracing him back to Abraham. Abraham, that one who was born in Ur of the Chaldeans, who God said, go to a place that I will show you. And he picked up and he gathered up his, his family and his possessions and he went to the place that God said would be your land and would be your inheritance. That Abraham who God came to again after many years of frustration and turmoil and not seeing God make good on his promises. The promise that God unilaterally had made to him. You see when Abram and God made this covenant or this agreement, Abram did nothing but sleep while God made promises. This Abram, whom God said a second time, go to a place that I will show you, but this time take your son, your only son Isaac, the one you love, and offer him as a sacrifice. And yet in that moment, in that great and tragic moment, God showed up. Mark begins not with an account of the genealogy of Jesus, but with a declaration that Jesus, this babe that was born in Bethlehem, was in fact the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah that was spoken about with a quotation from Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet who, who prophesies in Israel, who's warning them of their sin, who is telling them, announcing repentance and the hope that's going to come through Messiah. The one who is saying, please turn around before God sends the Assyrians and carries us off into captivity. Mark begins in that space with the history of Israel, beginning with the one who calls them to repentance from their disobedience, but in that call to repentance gives and declares hope. Luke begins with some personal remarks to someone, a Greek fellow who is probably his benefactor in writing his gospel account. And Luke says, after making a thorough investigation of everything, oh, excellent Theophilus, I too set out to write an account of the Christ. 
And in laying out these personal claims and after laying out his historical method, Luke basically launches into an account of Jesus that he has thoroughly investigated even so far as going and doing personal interviews. This is, this is an interesting thing, you guys. Did you know that Luke is the gospel writer that speaks most about women? Did you know that Luke is the gospel writer that tells of the, the account that uh, 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 Mary had with the angel? Do you know that Luke is the one who talks about the angelic account with Joseph? Do you know that Luke is the one that, that launches into the extended account of John the baptizer and where he came from? Where in the world did Luke get that kind of information? I got a crackpot theory. He sat down with Jesus' mother. If you look at the beginning of Luke, it becomes clear that, that Luke had personal conversations. He sat down and he sat down and he interviewed people and he talked to people that were still there and were still alive. Now, here's, here's the thing, you guys. You want to know my story? You can go and you can talk to all kinds of people. And you can talk to all kinds of people that are here in this room and they can tell you stories about the band days and they can tell you stories about the, the North Point days and they can tell you stories about the elementary school days when our boys were there together. They can tell you stories about the swimming days. But if you want to know the full story of Dennis Moles. Do you know who you need to talk to? You need to go out onto Red House Hill in North Putnam County, and you need to sit down with a lady who looks exactly like me, and her name is Linda Moles. But all of these accounts do something very similar. They all talk about the anticipation and the arrival, and they start on earth. All of the synoptic gospels, they start on earth. They start with a genealogy, promises and promises kept. They start with prophecies and prophecies fulfilled. They start with personal encounters and testimonies. But while all the synoptic gospel writers start on earth, John, the disciple Jesus loved, starts in a different place. John's account of the Advent season of the Christ doesn't begin on earth, but it begins in heaven. He starts not with the ending of the 400 years of silence or with the prophecy of the Messiah that was to come or with the genealogical proofs that Jesus was the descendant of David and Jacob and Abraham and Noah and Adam and Eve. He begins with the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, speaking into the silence of eternity past and creating all things. And his point, his point isn't so much rooted in the story of Israel, but the story of all of humanity and their God. John chapter 1. In the beginning, this is John 1, 1, and then down to, uh, through 5 and into 5, uh, 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. My friends, Advent isn't a story of chubby saints or presents under a tree or even gatherings like this. The Advent is a story of hope that doesn't just begin with a promise made to Abraham or one who sits on the throne of David. It begins and is rooted in the goodness of God. Here's one of the things I think we don't do a very good job of often, is I don't think we do a good job of, of, of telling the story from beginning to end. It's part of the reason that we've been doing what we've been doing over the last several weeks. But, 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 but the reality of Advent communicates this very clearly to us, is that goodness precedes sin. And despair gives way to hope. 
Goodness precedes sin, that God in his person is goodness, is holiness, is light, is love, is life. And that precedes everything that we have done to mar that goodness or our ancestors have done to mar that goodness. God stands before, but it also tells us that despair gives way to hope. As we look at the end of the story, right, the story doesn't end with judgment. It ends with hope at the end, with a city that is set with the doors wide open, people coming and going, it ends with hope. And even in this first advent, it is manifested in hope because you see a priest who had lived all of his life in faithfulness to God by the name of Zechariah, who now experiences the hope of a son. Elizabeth, who has dealt with infertility and barrenness, now gets a son. Mary, who faces the shame of being a single mother in a world where that was a capital offense, potentially finding hope and saying yes to the Almighty. Of Joseph, who understands that family is more than biology, we see that despair gives way to hope in the life of Simeon, in the life of Anna, to the stinky shepherds who are out in the field. <laughs> they experience the, the declared glory of God. For Advent tells us, my friends, that goodness precedes sin, and despair gives way to hope. I want to cycle back, and, and, and I want us to look um, just, I, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture one more time, and I want us to think through what John was actually saying here, and, and, and how this works, is, is that while John begins his account not on earth and in heaven, something I think that we need to be very clear about is that John is telling us a story. John, John's gospel is a narrative portion of Scripture, but it's different than the narrative of, let's say, the synoptic gospels. John is not concerned with crafting a story that begins at the beginning and ends at the ending. Has anybody ever sat down with an old grandparent with an accent and asked them to tell stories. Anybody ever been there? Right? They don't, I, I tell my preaching students this. If you want to learn how to tell a story, go find someone that's old and has an accent. Right? Grandma so-and-so from the old country in the Netherlands, right? That's who you want to tell you, right, to teach you how to tell stories. Right? But that's what John does. As we see John, it, 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 it's toward the end of his life, and he's, he's not so much setting out to, to give us this vision of Jesus from beginning to end. He has a different purpose than the other gospel writers do. What John is doing is the old man at the end of his life, as he's sitting down to write down his gospel account, the reason that he starts in heaven is because G John is trying to tell us the true story of his best friend Jesus, who doesn't happen to be the son of Joseph and Mary, just the son of Joseph and Mary. He happens to be the eternal son of God. That's why he starts where he starts. When he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and nothing without him was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The first thing that John wants his readers to hear and to understand, and the first thing I think that we need to understand on this first day of Advent, is that the Son was in the, be was in the beginning with the Father. John understood, and we need to understand the eternality of the Son. We have hope, my friends, because the Son was there in the beginning, and He'll be there in the end. It's not that just that Jesus was some kind of a demigod who was born of Mary and then will last forever. No, Jesus is not everlasting like other humans. He is eternal in that when the beginning happened, he was the one who caused it. He is the, as Aquinas said, the first unmoved mover. He is one who stands outside of time and space because of who he is. He is eternal, and he's more than just an observer, the text tells us. He wasn't only there, right, with a clipboard watching as the Father did what the Father was about to do. No, the entire Trinity was involved in the creative process. He was there, active in creation, and he created everything that is as good, including you and me. 
Now, folks, can I tell you, far too often, I think, that I, we look at ourselves, and, and, and this, is, this is what we're, we're naturally inclined to do as human beings. We either over, overestimate ourselves or we underestimate ourselves. And sometimes we do it in the wrong direction, right? Because we fail to see that we bear and we carry the image of God and therefore are worthy of love and grace and kindness that we have intrinsic worth. Every human being has intrinsic worth. Why? Because we carry the image of God. And every human being, my friends, is capable of almost unspeakable evil. Why? Because we're broken and we're bent by sin. You see, Jesus was there before we were broken and we were bent. And because of the eternality of the Son, He is sovereign and He is Lord. He is the one who possesses the right to rule, but He's also providential over everything. Is that not only does He have say so, but apart from Him, apart from His common grace, we don't get rain. This world doesn't fly together. This world doesn't hold together but flies apart. Jesus is the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity. And one of, one of my favorite little bits about this first chapter of Genesis is that as such, as, uh, as, as a result of this, Jesus being eternal, He exists outside of time and space. Wait, what? Jesus entered into time and space when he took on flesh. When Jesus of Nazareth was born, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh, fully God, fully man, lived among us in that way. But as the divine Son of God, he existed before the sun and the moon. Genesis chapter 1 tells us the sun and the moon. This, this is what I think is really interesting, folks. It, it was day four. Day four, we didn't have any mechanism with which to right? So there's, there's light, there's water, there's creation, there's all these kinds of things. But it's day four that God starts putting things into creation. Now, what's interesting is that, remember, Moses is delivering this to a group of people that have lived for hundreds of years in Egypt. And so Moses' primary responsibility in, in, in communicating Genesis 1 was to tell the people the true story of where they came from and who God is because they had been raised all of their life in a context that said the sun wasn't a created thing. It was a God to be worshipped. You see, what Moses was doing is God had gotten the Israelites out of Egypt. Now he was trying to get the Egypt out of the Israelites. And when we understand who God is, we understand who Jesus is. And Jesus is one who exists outside of time and space, yet has entered into it. Why? For our sake. For the sake of humanity. This leads us to the second thing we see in this passage of Scripture, and that is not only that Jesus was, was with the Father in the beginning. It doesn't just teach us of the eternality of the Son. It says that He is one with the Father. He's not just eternal. He is God Himself. It teaches us of the divinity of the Son. You see, my friends, we can have hope because the Father, listen to me, looks exactly like Jesus. God doesn't look like Moses. God doesn't look like Abram. God doesn't look like David. God looks like Jesus. Why, why does that matter, Dennis? Why does it matter? Well, it matters because the fact of the matter is, folks, is that those men were just like me. And if you look at me or you look at any other human being, what you're going to see is you're going to see the Imago Dei marred by sin, but not in Jesus. Fully God was this man bypassing the curse of Jeconiah, inheriting the promise of David. He was the one who had the right to rule, to sit on the throne of David, but was not tainted by sin. If we're to understand Jesus' work in the Messiah, my friend, as Messiah, we must do two things at the same time. We must read Jesus in light of his Old Testament heritage who he was and where he was from. But we must also read the Old Testament in light of its Jesus context. He was what everything was pointing towards. He's the truer and better law. He's the truer and better lawgiver. He's the truer and better son. Isaac was great, but boy, he's no Jesus. 
He was the truer and better king. David did a lot of stuff. Solomon did a lot of good things. But boy, there no Jesus. You see, the God of the Old Testament, my friends, is the God of the New Testament. They are the same person. And let us never forget that. Because when we sometimes think or we approach the God of the universe based upon his accommodations to the ancients, we get mixed up and we get messed up and we see God as one person and Jesus as another. But if you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. Why? Because he is the exact image of the invisible God. He not only was with God in the beginning, he was God in the beginning. What else? The third thing that this passage tells us, and it tells us clearly, is that the Son is life and light. It speaks of the humanity of Jesus Christ. It speaks of his incarnation. The Son is eternal, the Son is divine, but the Son is also human, fully God and fully man. Dennis, explain to me how that works. I can't. Right? There are some of these things, right, where it's like, you know, well, we got to hold those things in mystery and we got to hold those things in tension. And, and this has been a conversation that's gone on for eons and for centuries, folks. But this is the mystery of the divine, is that we believe in one God eternally existent in three persons. And we believe in the second person of the Trinity that is fully God and fully man. That he is both at the same time. Now, what does this mean or why does that matter? Because here's the thing, you guys, is, is that because of his humanity, Jesus is light that's come into a dark world. Light chases darkness. This is, boy, if, boy if, we could, if we could get our teenagers and our young adults to realize this, folks, we would change the world. And that is this, is that it's not the world that they need to be afraid of, it's that the world needs to be afraid of them. Everywhere we go as followers of Jesus Christ, we take ground for the kingdom. Or that's the way it ought to be. Right? We need to stop building uh, uh, hedges for ourselves and hiding. Why? Because the darkness flees when the light comes into the room. And that's what we see in, in, in Jesus is that he is the light of the world, Matthew tells us. But what does Matthew also tell us just a few verses later? It tells us that all y'all... All of us are the light of the world as well. Is that the humanity of Christ is a declaration of incarnation. But folks, the incarnation shouldn't just stop with Jesus. It should continue with us. What are you saying, Dennis? Are you saying that we're perfect? No. I'm saying that we're kind of like Moses and David and Jacob and Joshua. We're, we're those people. And, and just how they pointed to Jesus, even though they weren't Jesus, right? So Jesus is the one that we point to. I'm saying we stand on this side of the cross and we point back and we say, hey, that Jesus guy, this is who he is. This is what he does. This is how he loves. We incarnate. We are light. Jesus this text tells us is the word, that which, is, that which produces light out of life, lifelessness. God spoke everything into existence in the beginning, and Jesus is communicated by John as the word of God. You want to know something really interesting, folks? Is that the Bible never calls itself the word. The Bible calls Jesus the word. What do you mean, Dennis? Do you not think? No, 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 no. The Bible is the word of God, lowercase w. A gift meant to show us the giver. Jesus is the uppercase W word of God, the giver that's meant to be worshipped. We know the one through the other. We have the one because of the other. Can I get a witness? He's the Adam that Adam should have been, the perfect human image of the invisible God. Everything that Adam broke, according to Romans 5, my friends, Jesus is restoring and putting back together. He's the glory of God among us. We have hope. Why? Because of him. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the euangelion of God, is that Jesus came and was incarnated, fully God, yet fully man, into this space. He walked around like us. He lived like us. He was tempted like us, yet without sin, and then became sin for us, that the anticipated one has arrived, and he was better than we ever could have imagined. You see, my friends, the Advent story must start with Jesus because if it starts with us, it leads us 
it leads us to despair. When the story started with Adam and Eve, it led to despair because of deception and transgression. When we start with Noah, it leads to despair because he was living among people whose every thought and whim was bent on evil. When it starts with Abram, it leads to despair because God seemed to be so slow in keeping his promises that Abram decided he would take things and matters into his own hand. Even when we start with the great lawgiver Moses, we lead to despair because while he was on the mountain. God's people were in the valley worshiping idols. When we start with the great King David, we, it leads us to despair because David, let's be honest, his family was an absolute wreck. Far too often, I feel like we start the story of Advent, we start the story of the gospel, we start the story of Jesus in the wrong place because we start with the brokenness and the fall of humans. And it makes sense, right? Because it's all around us. I was thinking about this this week. When I was first taught, right, how to, to communicate the gospel, I was probably in my 20s before I was actually given a version of the gospel that didn't start with despair and sin and need. The Romans wrote for salvation, I was taught as a small boy, which was actually, this was the thing that led me to Jesus. Can Anybody ever been there, right? You knelt at an altar and somebody said that, that this was where they started for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You been there, right? That was me. Jack Clendenin took me to an altar. I was there. Big Jack, he was probably not any bigger than I am now, but he seemed enormous at the time. Um, <laughs> had a big burly beard. We knelt at the altar. And Dennis went to the altar. Why? Because I didn't want to go to hell. Anybody else there? Right? Most of our non-reformed folks, right? If you were raised in a reformed church and you look at those of us that were kind of raised Wesleyan or Baptist, you're like, what in the world abusive world were you raised in? <laughs> Is it true? Yeah, it's true. All right. But that was it, man. Jesus, but Jesus met me there, right? He met me on that Romans road. The older that I got, I, I received a different method. It was like the ABCs of salvation. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for your sins and confess your sins and be forgiven. When I got a little bit older, older I was um, uh, exposed to D. James Kennedy, an evangelism explosion. If you died tonight and you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And on and on it went through the four spiritual laws and all those kinds of things. But almost every mechanism that I was given to communicate the good news of Jesus didn't start with the good news. It started with the bad news. Now, folks, don't get me wrong. I think that I need to be honest about the fact, and you all need to be honest about the fact, that you know what? Left to our own devices, we're dirty, rotten sinners. We are broken. And we are incapable and we cannot run fast enough, and we cannot jump high enough, and we cannot do enough good things. There is no performance-based mechanism whereby we make peace with God. And that's why the good news is such good news. Is that the further and the faster we ran from Jesus, he kept running to us. Is that in the garden when we ran and we sinned because we were naked and we didn't want to be seen, God keeps coming. And when the world had gone to hell in a handbasket with Noah, God kept coming. And David, Lord, bless David. Can you imagine? I mean, that man was a wreck. But you know what was good about him? He was a great repenter and God kept coming. And even when there was a declaration to the entire nation that their sin was going to bring about judgment, there was always in Isaiah and in Micah and Hosea, and Nahum, and Zephaniah, right? They all continue to say, but God won't stop coming. You see, my friends, there's hope because Jesus didn't stop coming. He didn't stop, and he doesn't stop. You might be looking at me this morning, and you might be saying, Dennis, you don't know. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I think. You don't know where I've been. You don't know. And, and the answer to most of those questions is probably, yep, I have no idea where you've been. But I also know the fact that I would be horrified if any one of you got to climb behind these eyes and see what goes on in this mind from time to time. But Jesus keeps coming. 
We have hope, not because of our own knowledge, not because of our own effort, not because of our own ability, not because of, of, of our giftedness or our accomplishments. We have hope because the anticipated Messiah has arrived. And He, He has made a way. You see, my friends, when the story starts with Him, it starts with the goodness of God. And when the story starts with goodness, it has no choice but to end with hope. Because God keeps calling us. Joe, if you and the team would come, God keeps calling us back to the good. From overwhelming despair, he keeps pointing us to hope. My friends, I wonder if, if maybe this Advent season we need to come to grips with the fact that often when we despair, it's because of the sin that's in us or the sin that's around us. Right, that we live in a broken and a fallen world. We despair of sin. And because we despair of sin, it reminds us that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. That sometimes we despair because of God's apparent slowness in keeping His promises. The older that I get, the more that I identify with the old man, Abram. And I ask myself, and I ask the Lord, how long? But the reality is, is even given the unruly nature of God's people, Jesus, Jesus has come, He is here, and He will come. But that middle piece, that middle piece as we sing together, Jesus is coming. Sometimes I forget that, that the incarnation just doesn't stop with Jesus is that oftentimes he chooses to show up through the voice and the body and the hands and the resources of his people. This Advent season, could I lay out a challenge for us that we would allow Jesus to show up through us? That we wouldn't just announce that he has arrived, but that we would show by our words and our actions that he is here. That the anticipation that people are waiting on, God may intend to meet that anticipation through you. He has you where he has you for a purpose. The question for each and every one of us is that will we lay down ourselves for the sake of him? Will we incarnate the goodness of God, the hope for despair that has come through Advent because that's why he's chosen us. God doesn't need us, my friends, but man, he loves to use us. He can make a way. And he wants to use you to do it. We're going to enter back into a time of worship. Um, as we do, we're also going to enter into a time of offering. Um, there are tables at the back of the auditorium that you can use or you can scan the QR code on the chairs in front of you. You are here, moving in. 
worship you, worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you, I worship you. Why don't you stand with us? You are a maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are a maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here. Touching every heart, worship you, worship you. You are here, healing every heart, worship you, worship you. You are here, turning lives
Should have a seat real quick. Morning, everyone. My name is Tanner Taminga, and I'm the Student Ministry Director here at Sunrise. And before we end the service, um, I do have one thing I need to share with all of you. And it's not an easy thing for me to share. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes. If you didn't hear me, I have something to share, and it's not an easy thing. Um, this past year has been difficult for my wife and I. And... Um, We found ourselves in a season where we need to make some changes for the health of our family. And so, one of those changes, in the new year, I will no longer be on staff here at Sunrise. Um, what I need you to know is that this decision has nothing to do with anything that Sunrise has done has nothing to do with Dennis being the new pastor. It has nothing to do with any leadership decisions. Um, this has been my wife Kylie and I's decision just for the health of our family. And throughout this whole conversation, um, Dennis and our leadership has been amazing. Um, when I first told Dennis, he instantly gave me a hug and asked how they could be helpful. Sunrise has been uh, an amazing church and a huge blessing for our family. Um, all of you have been amazing. Thank you for all the ways you've helped me grow as a leader, for ways that you have challenged me. You've helped me grow into the man and the husband and the father that I am today. And uh, in our family's time of need, when our son was in the NICU, Sunrise members were the first ones at our door asking how they could be helpful and what we needed. So thank you for all the ways that you have loved and blessed our family. I also need to say how amazing our students are. Every single week I come to our youth group and there's nothing but joy and love and laughter, no matter how hard of a conversation we're having. Students, you have uh, taught me what it means to be a church family. Each week, our leaders and I try our best to walk alongside our students. But the truth is, our students do a lot better job of walking alongside the leaders. They've shown me the love and grace that we strive to do and show to the world around us at Sunrise. Also, last week was our thankful service. And if you were here, you probably saw a lot of tables and chairs set up for that. I don't know if this was shared, but all of our students set those things up for us last week. So please give them a round of applause for that. <laughs> uh, I don't have a lot of answers for what's next for Kylie and I at this time. <clears throat> um, I'm still in the process of looking for what's next for me. So as we go through that transition, we just ask that you please be in prayer over our family, that we will follow wherever God is leading us next, and that we will have great communication as husband and wife throughout that process. Sunrise, we love you. We thank you for everything you are doing and that you have done for us. And if you're wondering what that means for youth group moving forward, we are working on what that transition will look like. Yep. And uh, Dennis is going to share more of what that will look like in the future as well. Sunrise, we love you. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to do something right now um, for probably, there's probably two ladies in this place that are just like, they're both thinking, do not do it, old man. Um, but Amy, could you and Kylie please come up here? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I need the elders um, to come as well and uh, some of their spouses, if you would. Remember what the preacher just said, that it starts with goodness. And when it starts with goodness, hope replaces despair. Um, one of the things Tanner and I have talked about over the last uh, few weeks is that I know it's hard when there's not answers, um, but sometimes it's good just to have somebody that you can talk to that kind of knows what you're going through. And about six months ago, Amy and I were in the same place, <laughs> knowing that God was leading us 
to something, but not knowing what that was. And that meant God leading us away from people that we loved in a place of ministry and stability. Um, and so we just need you guys to know that we, regardless of where you do your work and find your vocation, that this is your family and that we're here. That we love you, that we care for you, and that this is a soft place to land. All right? Um, so you're going to stand up. Here's what we're going to do. Normally, at this time during the service, what happens is I'll say a prayer and then I'll offer a blessing. But what we're going to do is I'm going to say a prayer over these two. And then you're going to turn your hands and we're going to turn the blessing back this way. Can we do that? All right. So let's, let's everybody extend a hand. I'm going to pray and then we're going to offer a blessing. So, Father, we come into this space. Lord, and we enter into this space with with Tanner and with Kylie and with Henry, the space of not knowing. Lord, the space of sensing you're moving, the space of sensing you're leading, the space, Lord, that, that so many of the folks we mentioned in the scriptures find themselves in. And we feel like that this morning that Tanner and Kylie are in a place where you are saying, go to a land that I will show you. But we don't know where that is. Lord, because you see the beginning from the end, but we don't. We just see this space. We just feel the pain in our hearts, and we feel the loss, and we don't want to lose relationship. And there's so many fearful things that are churning up within us right now. But Lord, in this moment, we declare as a family, as a body of believers, that in the midst of our doubts, we trust you with this young couple. We trust you with this family. We trust you to make their path straight. We trust you to speak to them and to guide them. We trust you, Father, to lead this body, this community. Father, we thank you for the work and the ministry that they've done. We thank you for the pastoral uh, work that they've poured into people. Father, we thank you for their friendship and for their love. And we bless them now in this moment. And we pray hope over them. We, pay, we pray peace and joy and love over them this morning. And we declare as a body of believers that we join with them in seeking your best plan for this family. So Jesus, we thank you that you not only see the beginning from the end, but you're right there waiting for them at the place you have for them to be. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, let them know how loved and how cared for they are. We thank you and we praise you for this in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. My friends, go. In his peace, you're dismissed.